Welcome to Sustainable Business Fridays. I'm your host, Katie Elman. Sustainable Business Fridays is the first podcast of its kind, bringing together students in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, not-for-profits, social entrepreneurship, and more. Twice monthly, these conversations go live via iTunes and Google Play. This week, I'm speaking with Maureen Klein, Vice President, Public Affairs and Sustainability for Pirelli Tire North America. Thanks for joining me, Maureen. Thank you. When people think about a business that has been around as long as Pirelli Tire and their role in the automobile landscape, sustainability is not the first thing that comes to mind. How does Pirelli work sustainability into their business model? Okay, so uh, Pirelli is a company that's headquartered in Italy, um, and it has been around for more than 140 years. Um, And it is, uh, like many European companies, it's it's doing pretty well in sustainability compared to your average American company, I would say. This is a personal opinion. my, I came to Pirelli in 2006 after a long career in journalism, in financial journalism, and I started in the communications department, and then I moved to um, international public affairs, and then I came from Milan. That was all in Milan, uh, and then I moved to New York in 2012 and was put in charge of the North American public affairs, and in Pirelli we have regional we have a, a sustainability department in the headquarters uh, that's also risk management so it's sustainability and risk management together reporting to the CEO and the board and then in the regions we have regional sustainability managers who um, usually have another job as well and um, and so I'm one of those so my, my second job is sustainability for the US Canada and Mexico and Pirelli's been very active in that for for a long time. In fact, the history actually is very much um, a a kind of a stakeholder model. It was um, originally a family-owned company and and really had a a kind of a sense of taking care of its communities, its workers, and, and the environment really historically. And then, you know, the tire industry isn't the most obvious industry for sustainability, um, given that it's, you know, it's part of the automotive industry. People don't think of tires as a necessarily a kind of a clean product. But of course, um, and of course, our our major focus is consumer safety. Mm-hmm. So, um, which I mean, I think of as a sustainability aspect. I agree. And uh, and you know most people don't really give enough attention to the tires, and the tires are very important because they're the thing that's between the car and the road. Um, so obviously we have a huge focus on safety, and we have a lot of R and D innovation for safety, and also now for environmentally um, for environmental aspects of the tires, so for fuel efficiency. Um, which is something that the car companies are very, very interested in, as well as consumers. So um, a tire looks like something maybe very simple, but it's not. There's a lot of 
R&D behind a tire. Can you elaborate more on what you mean when you say that European companies are doing well in sustainability compared to your average American company? Um, well, one thing that I've noticed is that investors in Europe are have been more focused on sustainability um, than investors in the U.S. And, uh, and a lot of the European, typical European companies um, were family-owned and um, maybe not as large and and not as focused on the quarterly shareholder uh, model. Having said that, I think there's definitely a business case for sustainability in the sense that um, a, a long-term view can bring uh, can make a, a company very healthy over the long term and bring also the short-term profits. And so, um, so I would say in the case of Pirelli, our sustainability was partly investor-driven. We were really looking to um, we were looking to kind of broaden our shareholder base beyond Italy, and um, and and reach out to long-term institutional investors like pension funds, and uh, and that you know that's a that's a wise strategy in any case because it lowers your volatility of your of your share prices. So over time we um we had also reached out to sustainability investors and we had um you know kind of gotten on board with the idea of sustainability reporting early on. Um our our reporting the the reporting process um is actually a, a great tool to lead a company through a sustainability journey. So our reporting now is the GRI G4 comprehensive integrated report. So we have a we have a an annual report that's both a sustainability report and a financial report. And um, and we we really a lot so much goes into that reporting process, including involving the board, including strategic decisions, including um, making. Uh, business plans that are also sustainability plans over time and so on. So so all of this kind of played in together to over time um, to attracting long-term institutional investors and raising our share price and having kind of an overall benefit. So so I would say we, we firmly believe in a business case for sustainability um, in both in terms of the product uh, because sustainable products will ultimately gather <clears throat> excuse me sustainable products will ultimately gather um, you know more interest from consumers. I think that's growing and and then also from and certainly in our case because we're talking about fuel efficient tires um, and tires that don't pollute as much and so on. and those are things that are uh, interesting to consumers. Um, and also in terms of kind of the corporate governance side, um, sustainability really does pay off. A lot of it is, it is, is in fact, about limiting risk. Um, but again, it's um, there is this kind of journey to figure out what's going to be a better company to invest in, and and a lot of the sustainability issues point to. Um, companies that do perform well over time. Right. Now, so we use Go ahead, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
Well, um, the UN Global Compact, which we've been a very active member of, uh, came up with a a way, a kind of a framework to communicate with investors about sustainability, and they call it the value dri- value driver model. And so we actually use that on a regular basis to um, to to look at. Um, you know, to kind of frame sustainability and look at the value of it. And it's it's really divided into three parts. So so we look at where we where we're getting greater revenues from sustainability initiatives. So that can be sustainable materials and products and it can be and then and then the second part is cost savings. So the classic one is that you can save save money by um Turning to by moving to different kinds of energy and um, and energy certainly energy efficiency. Speaking of risk, that was actually uh, a question I had for you when you're um, speaking of risk management in you know a company and a business that's been around for 140 years. You said obviously the idea of what is and isn't risk has changed somewhat. Um, how does that play? into the sustainability work that you're doing and what um, that would be like or what that entails? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have, we're, we're actually, I think we're fairly unusual in that our enterprise risk management is in the same department as our sustainability, which is very helpful um, in streamlining the, you know, use, having those two things work together. And so, that means that you know we can very quickly put in place let's say a climate change risk assessment um throughout the company looking at the individual factories and where they're located and what um what might go into that um my job as a regional sustainability manager includes implementing a lot of things and some and some of it is compliance so um we have we have a lot of policies, and uh, and then the implementation of these policies include, for instance, uh, anti-corruption. Um, so that means that we have to do training in in our in the region, and and make sure everyone understands and abides by these policies. And so that's part of risk management right there. Um, other things are. Kind of filling out questionnaires and um, and and liaising with the the headquarters about what they're looking for, and and so we do a lot of you know and a lot of the sustainability journey is about monitoring and quantifying and measuring, and so and then setting goals. So of course you know we count everything, we measure everything, we report back to the center, and and then we. We set goals, and um, and every year we're monitoring our achievement on these goals and putting things and putting programs in place to do better, and so on. So there's a lot of work there. Um, now, is so, there? No, that makes sense. Now, when you're saying part of this um, process, I mean includes goal setting and reassessing. So you don't just do something once it's a growing and evolving um, mm-hmm. process is that correct absolutely it's a it's a 
continuous process all the time. One and we you know, and you build and build and build. You can you know, you can get to a certain point and then add something else. One of the one of the things that I'd like to do in my region this year, hopefully, is to um is to do a, a major training of all of the employees and including not just learning about what sustainability means and what it means to the company and what the company is doing in sustainability, but having groups of maybe just six or seven people talking about how sustainability affects their individual jobs and and also brainstorming about how to increase that or how to improve on that. And that would be something that I think will only work if if we really keep it alive over time and have those groups you know, continue to meet, continue to talk, and continue to bring proposals, and uh, you know, and kind of see see where that goes, and and hopefully that'll give people also a sense of um, being part of the you know the cultural shift and part of the the Pirelli family and and so on. Has there been, in your experience, um, in this position with Pirelli, or even in your um, journalistic career or reporting or writing on sustainability, has there been resistance or pushback against this idea and this way of doing business? Um, I think, I mean, I wouldn't say resistance or pushback, but, um, but there's any change, I think there's, you know, there's often a tendency to kind of say, well, why are we doing this? Or um, certainly, if you're if you wanted to propose an, a capital investment in a company, it would need to, you know, for sustainability projects, it would need to go through the same process as any other investment. And so, you, you know, you need to figure out. Like we we have solar panels at our um, on the land in our in front of our factory in Georgia. And that, and so the, the that process included well, evaluating whether whether we wanted to invest in solar panels directly, whether we wanted to lease our land to um, a company that that would invest in solar panels and take on the you know the the financial part of it, um, and so on. And so you know so that's a discussion, and um, and you can't make big investments unless the return on investment is is what the company has decided makes sense for it financially. Um, But there are more and more of these, um, you know, these business models where, you know, a company will come in and do and redo the lighting and give you sustainable, offer you sustainable lighting and then it gets the cost, the initial cost of it gets paid back with your savings on your energy bill over time and so on. And actually that um, that leads me to a, a sort of a reflection on sustainability in general. I think um, where innovation comes in, I think we're going to see a lot more um, actually changing business models. So for instance, for tires, you might see um, if there's you know, in the future, if you have a lot of car sharing and self-driving cars and so on, you might you might see um, tires being sold not by the single unit but by number of miles. So, in other words, if 
if a um, you know a car fleet needed um, you know a, a continuous supply of tires whenever they need to be changed, you could do a contract where you're just supplying um, all the tires they need and then measuring that by miles and that that gives the incentive to a tire company to to make tires that are that are going to last and be um, you know high quality tires that last. So I think we're going to see more of those different business models. Oh, definitely, especially if um, Uber is <laughs> going toward or saying their goal is to have driverless vehicles. Um, so organizations like that are probably going to be leading some of that demand and that change. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the things that we do now is called, we call it the cyber tire. And um, in some of our truck tire sales are um, truck tires sold to fleets with, uh, with a chip in the, in the tire so that the fleet manager can, um, can, can manage the, the fleet of tires from a cell phone or a computer or whatever and and know at any given time which tires need to be inflated, which need to be retreaded, which are getting old and so on, need to be replaced. And um and there's a there's a direct cost savings in terms of um uh, fuel economy when you when you when you are focusing on proper inflation for tires. And so not only a cost savings but also a you know improvement for the environment if there's better fuel economy and um and you know and you can do a lot with 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 that concept of the chip and the tire i mean the you know the the implications go pretty far you can in other words the tire can read the road conditions and feed that back into the electronic system and so on there's um there's i think there's going to be a lot of innovation there as well yeah that's great we're seeing that across other industries as well, even with home heating there, you're able to control and monitor from a distance and then figure out when you're using more energy and less energy and things like that. So definitely innovation is a huge part of um, sustainability. Uh Uh-huh. And that's a good parallel. I like that. You sit on the advisory board of the Corporate Responsibility Association. Can you tell us a little bit more about the association and your role there? Yeah, so the Corporate Responsibility Association is, I think it's been around for a while. I'm I'm a recent uh, new member, and it's an association of um, member companies, and it has um, it has four or five thought leadership councils that are that are working on things like. Um, ratings and rankings and and really you know kind of hashing through the corporate perspective on these things and so that I was asked to be co-chair of a thought leadership council on reputation management and brand and reputation and we've had some excellent speakers and um, the the corporate responsibility association has a big conference in October every year and so um, so last year we had some panels on reputation and um and and this year again we're working on that um but I think that's it's it's a really interesting there's a really interesting evolution in 
um, in terms of corporate reputation in that um, kind of, you know, earlier we were talking about intangibles and, and, and the value of a brand, uh, which is a little bit hard to pin down. But if you think about, um, you know, the difference between a, several decades ago and now, it's, it's just so important to have to create trust around your brand and to create, um, I mean, trust is the main thing, but then companies also try to create a, an, a kind of feeling that the consumer is a part of that brand in some way or that their lifestyle um, is the the brand is part of their lifestyle. There's there's this kind of um, this loyalty aspect, right? And um, and you know the interesting thing that I find about the, all the studies about trust and trust, of course, is um, something that you can achieve through sustainability actions. Um, so. You know, so everyone wants to achieve that sense that consumers trust their brand and improve their reputation, and and so that I mean, you could say that that's an opportunistic reason for for doing sustainability, but I don't actually care what the reasons are as long as companies do move towards sustainability because I think it's it's just so important, um, and you need to have incentives that are real-world incentives. So improving your reputation is one of them for sure, and risk avoidance is another. Um, so that's been interesting work. And, and I think it's becoming, it's becoming somewhat of a science, reputation management. But, there's, you know, but it's not just fluff. There's, uh, there's a lot of serious strategy behind it and um, you know, you can no longer get away with greenwashing or or fluff. Or you you really have to. Um, when you talk about reputation, there needs to be absolutely a um, you know a serious corporate strategy to earn that reputation. Would you say that? I mean, maybe an older way of doing business is that the reputation um, aspect wasn't. A priority. I mean, obviously, every business wants to have an excellent reputation. Their brand matters so much; it means more than just, um, you know, it becomes a lifestyle. If you think of Coca-Cola, it's a lifestyle they're putting out into the world internationally. Um, mm -hmm. But the reputation part is seems to be more of a sticking point that people, consumers, want to know that the companies and the brands that they're spending their hard-earned money toward are actually doing the right thing. So mm -hmm. is it somewhat surprising or shocking that in this day and age, companies may drop the ball on that? Or is it less and less we're going to, or is it the same business as usual where, you know, companies are going to try to get away with whatever they can um, mm -hmm. until they get caught? Um, I think that, I think that there's there have been a number of you know enough high profile cases um that that teach lessons um now that people are looking at and you know it has become very clear that that losing reputation means losing a lot of money and 
um, and customers and you know they're it, losing reputation is is absolutely a hugely damaging thing and so what companies need to figure out is how to put the controls in place internally so that you avoid you know somebody in in some department in some silo making a bad decision that maybe they don't even realize you know the the kind of bigger picture maybe they don't maybe they didn't think about what that decision might look like if it was actually in a newspaper article as opposed to you know, kind of a, a small detail of a day-to-day um, cost-saving exercise or whatever it was, and um, and so I think that I think I think things are changing pretty quickly, and companies are realizing that um, you know they they need to have not only internal controls but they need to kind of keep abreast of the big picture, and um, and they need to have you know the senior people really looking at the big picture and where are we headed and what is our reputation and how can we um, direct it and and what policies do we need to put in place, you know, as controls. And so this is where governance comes in. And this is why a financial analyst might be looking at, at a company's governance to see if it's really good, if it's really strategic, if controls are really in place. And would you say, I mean, it seems you're involved with a lot of things, um, professionally speaking, Mm -hmm. and it seems that that's also a new model for working people, that you are going to have your hand in a lot of different um, paths (laughs) and Mm -hmm. working um, with different groups and different organizations and not just having one job. Um, is that something you've noticed a lot more of? <laughs> well, that's a really interesting question. And I think, um, I mean, there's a lot being looked at now about the future of work in general. Um, I would definitely say that um, part, of, part of that is, certainly in my case, has to do with um, a sense of purpose and people more and more want, um, want to find a sense of purpose in their work. And so, um, you know, by by being part of projects and committees and associations and things, um, that is certainly a way to to feel that sense of purpose. Um, there's also, I think, there's well, there's a couple of a couple of things to say. One is um, we're moving into, I would say, a more collaborative model, um, and a little bit away from. The competitive, the purely competitive model we we had, um, and so there's a lot of collaboration um, within industries to solve large problems, you know, like deforestation or things like that, and um, and and between industries. And then um, I've also gotten involved in some organizations because sustainability is a new field, and so there are groups that are coming together of sustainability managers from different industries that, you know, talk about best practices and share them. And I think that's really important. That's that's probably true of lots of careers, but certainly with sustainability because it's it's so new and we're we're all kind of um, you know, 
creating it as we go, it's important to share. And, uh, and I think that's also very exciting. No, I agree. Definitely. Um, speaking about the newness and also, you know, inventing this sustainability wheel as we're going along, what advice or thoughts would you have for students in the BARD MBA or other programs and other programs, excuse me, and or anyone interested in working or getting involved in this field? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I think it's great that um, to have a sustainability MBA, and hopefully one day all MBAs will have a lot of sustainability in them, and that you know we can integrate business and sustainability instead of thinking of them as two different things. Um, and I think that's kind of the whole, you know, the, the purpose of a lot of a lot of what we're talking about. Um, advice. I think, you know, sometimes I feel like um, people coming out of a program like a sustainability MBA may know more about sustainability than a lot of actual sustainability managers who maybe came from some other job and just were put there. Um, so I think that's exciting and that's a big opportunity. Um, and I guess uh, the advice I would give would just be to, um, you know, to to read a lot, to be very, um, to reach out a lot, to be very open and adaptive to new things and new ideas, and um, you know, because it's just, it's it's huge. I mean, I on on my Twitter feed, I only have sustainability uh, coming in. I, I made that decision to have Twitter just for sustainability. And it's so exciting. I mean, you could sit there all day and, and just get excited about all the new information that's coming in and, and examples of things and innovation and new ways of thinking and so on. So I would encourage people to just dive in completely, but also make sure to get a good background in, in business so that um, because you know these are the people that are going to be leading and integrating and bringing really bringing sustainability into business. Thank you so much, Maureen. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. You can read Maureen's weekly column at www.inc.com. That's inc.com, and you can follow her on Twitter at Klein underscore Maureen. Join us for the next Sustainable Business Fridays, where we'll be speaking with Bahar Gidwani of CSR Hub. Bard MBA in Sustainability. Lead the change. Learn more at bard.edu.